I'm back. Reports about podcast death has been greatly exaggerated. Book well, a lot of exaggerated, but still. I'm still here, kids. We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. Hello there, my name is Aaron Moss, and this is the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Presented by Head Speaks. This is an hourish long podcast where we'll talk about the Will Payton Starman comic and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comic from the late 80s, early 90s. We'll talk about every appearance of these two great characters. If you've never read them or haven't read them in a while, this may be a good time to explore these issues. Now, let's get started with our first comic. Yes, I'm still here. Despite my best efforts, I'm still doing four podcasts a month. Uh, but this month, we're only going to look at one book, so we're not going to be quite the hour long like we have been. Uh, we're going to look at Manhunter number five. I'm down to one month of book right now, probably for the next couple months, because I want to sync the books up for a couple of months. Before I do the Invasion crossover, uh, those two books are linked. Well, they're not linked, but they cross over the Invasion. So instead of covering the Invasion twice, I'm going to cover it one fell swoop. This month, we're only going to look at one issue, Manhunter number 5. Manhunter number 5, cover dated November of 1988. But to buy this fresh off the newsstand, you had to have $1 and had to have been around July the 12th of 1988. Uh, that information is from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. From the issue itself, it tells me it was written by Kim Yell. Uh, this month, John's taking a sabbatical, apparently, and Kim's writing the book herself. The penciler is Mary Mitchell. The inker, Romero Tangala. Letterer is just Constanza, which is John Constanza. Colorist is Juliana Fritter. And editor is Barbara Kiesel. And now, just to save time and because it's already done, I'm going to read the synopsis from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Again, I think I have a link to my site. That's dcindexes.com. The synopsis on this issue is. Mark Shaw invites Sylvia Candry, a police officer from the records department, to dinner. He wants to get information on Ashley, Mavis Pell, a wanted child molester. After Manhunter helps Sylvia stop a jewel thief, she agrees to help him. When Sylvia checks the computer records, she is interrupted by Paul Ladero, another computer analyst. After the interruption, the file is gone. Sylvia makes the connection to Paula and reports to Mark. Manhunter checks Paula's apartment and deduces that Paula is Ashley. He then rescues Sylvia, who Paula was targeting for discovering her secret. After Ashley slash Paula is taken into custody, Sylvia is suspended. She realizes that she should not have gotten involved with Mark or let things get personal with him. And again, that was from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Thanks, Mike. Now for my thoughts on the issue. So we start off the cover of this issue. Uh, this issue shows Manhunter 
standing behind uh, the cop that I mentioned earlier, Sylvia. Uh, the manners, costumes, twinkling with stars. I'm not sure it's symbolic of something. I'm not quite sure. It's a decent cover. Not the best one I've seen, but it's not bad. Uh, behind Manhunter and Sylvia, there's uh, the face of a, a person. Can't quite tell if it's a man or a woman. I'm assuming it's the bad guy of the issue, or the bad boy of the issue. Or maybe it's more. I'm not sure who it's supposed to be. Uh, we'll get into that. But uh, like I say, it's, it's a decent cover. It kind of conveys what the story's about, I think. Uh, briefly, I want to say that this, again, this is a standalone story. Well, not really standalone. Uh, spoilers. Uh, Sylvia leaves at the end of this issue. And, or, yeah, Sylvia, and she will be back, apparently, in Manhunter number 11, which is a lot down the road for us. But, again, this was written by Kim Yell by herself. Uh, Mr. Ostrander wasn't, didn't, apparently was involved in this issue. And this issue is basically from uh, Sylvia Candrell's, or, I'm sorry, Candry's point of view. It's all her perspective. And maybe that's why Kim wrote it by herself, because it's, it's a woman's perspective. Uh, this issue was drawn by a woman, Mary Mitchell. I'm not familiar with that name, so I looked at Mary the Penciler. Uh, she's only done about 15 issues of comics uh, from November of 88 through August of 1998, with a 10-year stretch. Uh, the first comic she did was this one here, Manhunter number 5, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. She did this one, a couple of titles called Elric, she did issue 11, another issue of Elric, she did the four, issue, four issues of Gotham Knights, Batman story, and then she did the uh, Gotham Knights 2, the four issues there, and then she did a couple issues for Marvel, and that's the last thing she did back in 98. So again, so this is a, uh, the story revolves around this female cop, it's written by a woman, penciled by a woman, so it's kind of a woman's perspective story, if you will. Uh, having said that, and uh, just to give my thoughts of the overall issue right now, it wasn't a bad issue. I enjoyed it, even though at this point it seems kind of standalone. And I forget, because it's been all I've read these, how much Sylvia shows back up. So it's made tight into something else later on besides that issue 11 I mentioned. But it's interesting getting, like I say, you know, a woman's perspective. And even the editor, with the normal editor, but she's a woman, so... In fact, I'm assuming Romeo Tagala and John Costanza are guys. That's the inker and letter. Uh, that's the only guys associated with this. Well, then the cover artist, of course. The cover artist, as usual, is uh, Mr. Doug Rice. But the issue itself, again, it's all—it's a female-created issue for the most part. So, again, this is a woman's perspective. Uh, so we start the story out, we see, you know, a, a monologue. And basically we find out that this is Sylvia's monologue. On her computer screen, she we see the Manhunter's mask. She's got some juice and tie it off sitting next to her computer. A pair of glasses, some orange slices. And we find out through the story that uh, Sylvia Candre is a... Apparently she wants fingerprints. People are bringing her fingerprints. And at the end of this first page, I'm sorry, the second page, we see the lower half of Manhunter standing in front of her, and she realizes that Mark Shaw Manhunter is standing in front of her. 
and you know he's asking her how's life and she's trying to make a joke you know sometimes it, or it can be a bite sometimes B-Y-T-E and Mark takes his mask off and so not everyone knows who Mark is but Mark doesn't really care apparently about his secret identity and she says you know is it risky you take your mask off and he's like well not really everyone knows who I am and I like this comment she makes she says that intrigued me a man who wore a mask to reveal himself and she had his file pulled up on the computer, he knew that. And it may be because his mask told the information, possibly, because when he takes his mask off, he lays it on top of the uh, the monitor. And so Mark kind of flirted with her. At this point, I'm going to say overall for the story, I don't know Mark's intent here. I don't know if he's just playing with her, if you will, to uh, get information, or if he's actually interested. Uh, knowing Mark, I, I'm wondering if he if he is just using his charms to and and trying to wine and dine her to get the information he wants through the back door, uh, since the detective in charge doesn't care much for Mark. And so she's asking, she's like, "Are you fishing for information, Shaw?" And he's like, "No, fishing for a date. Time to get off work." And she tells him about that time. I refer to him as a detective, actually, lieutenant, lieutenant Best. Shows up and kind of escorts him out and tells him he's not supposed to be down there. And I like this. He's like, what the hell do you think you're doing down here, chump, chump hunter? Let me guess. You got permission from some high muckety-muck. So you don't have to bother asking me. You think you own this place? Go over you want. Well, I got news for you in there, Tin Face. I'm going to buy a goat eat that damn mask of yours if I catch you down here again. Why you wearing it? And as the uh, Lieutenant Best escorts Mark out... Uh, he mouths to Sylvie, you know, he'll meet her at 3.30, basically. So they're out for dinner, and Mark tells her that, you know, he's trying to find a, uh, a child molester. Uh, he starts off, he tells her, you know, you're attracted to a lady, hope one about something won't spoil the evening, I need your help. He was hired to find a child molester, and Sylvia tells him, well, there's challenge requesting information, standard protocol, as the best would point out. And he thinks he's getting stonewalled by the higher-ups. And Mark says, well, he thinks there's a cover-up. And he thinks the NYPD is making a mistake. And he pulls out a picture of a woman, uh, an Ashley Mavis Powell, a daycare center. Prosecutor actually had evidence of open court. Uh, judge set a bond below the DA's recommendation. She skipped town. And basically, Mark's trying to find her and bring her in before she can get a hold of another kid. As they're leaving, they see this guy come running by, stealing a, a briefcase from a woman. So, uh, Sylvie candidate Candry, being a police officer, even though she's off duty, does what she does. She sees you know, police. She chases the guy down, and as she's chasing him, Mark pulls out his baton. And apparently he has his costume and his baton in his bag. And he, he's pretty quick because as the guy is running away, Mark has time to change into his Manhunter costume. And he, I'm assuming it's not under his clothes. I'm assuming it's in his double bag he carries with him. And actually another little question here I've got. As I'm, okay, he has his bag there. Sorry, as I'm reading this, on page 8 at the top, on page 7 he has the double bag on the back of a chair. On page 8, it's probably behind his back, I guess, in this first panel. And so anyways, that's how I was saying. 
sort of that mid-thought process as I'm talking here. I'm assuming he has his costume in his bag. His, I don't know if he fit under his regular clothes. So he's a quick change artist because as soon as the silly starts running after the uh, they have the briefcase in the short shorts, uh, Manhunter is able to change clothes uh, before they get very far. And then he pulls out a trash can lid, uses his power baton, and uses the cracked guy like that. They're on page nine, the second panel. We got the tra- trash can lid, clanking the guy in the back of the head. Uh, looks like maybe his upper back, lower neck. And Sylvia's grabbing by the feet, just dragging him down. Uh, so again, I mean, Mark helps her out, and he's like, well, you know, I know my, my presence here is going to uh, plug things up for you. Let me vacate and we get out of here. And he says here that, uh, I'm going to read this as he's talking here. He's like, back up on the way, I'm leaving. My presence here would complicate matters for you. Nice arrest, Sergeant Kendra. Good thing the mook tripped and lost his balance running. So again, so he, he, it's like he's looking out for you. He helped her out, and he knows that her being seen with him at this at this crime scene may not look great on her, so he's going to bug out. And then on page 10, uh, we get Kendry. She's at home thinking about Mark. And again, he was hitting on her, but I, I think... I don't know if she's lonely, being a, a cop. Maybe she doesn't have a lot of dates. Uh, and, you know, he talks about, you know, she thinks about how, you know, Mark acted as her partner, assisting the rest. And then he walked, leaving her to claim all the credits. And this bottom is page 10. She's thinking about, you know, marriage and kissing him and having a baby and having, you know, having a white picket fence, and a little baby and a dog with Mark. A man she just recently met. They've only been on one date. And, I mean, she doesn't know him that well personally yet. But she's already thinking of marriage. So I think a lot of her problems in this issue is her own her own mental... I don't want to say instability, but her own mental things. Because, and again, I think maybe being, being a, a cop, maybe she doesn't have a lot of dates. I know as a female cop, she's got to be hard and tough. So it may be hard to get for guys to get close to her. They may be afraid of her. And that may be spurring this this uh, romantic uh, fantasy she's having of her getting married. But I think, again, this here on page 10 is a lot of what's causing her problems. And it gives us an in-depth of her mind that she, you know, Mark shows her a slice of attention. He helps her out. And now she's thinking, you know, she's thinking marriage and kids and a house, quite big offense, a dog, whole nine yards of Mark. So, and again, it's drawn beautifully. Don't you know? It's just I wonder about Sylvia's mind frame at this point. And then on page eleven, she's talking to you know her fellow police officer, congratulating her, and Lieutenant Best saying, you know, basically he knows. Not really what happened. He knows that uh, he knows more happened than what she's letting on. He tells you know she knows he met she met up with him after work, had a friendly dinner, and and he Lieutenant Best does not trust Mark Shaw. He, he thinks that he's using uh, Kennedy Kennedy Sylvia. He thinks he's, he's using Sylvia to get something, 
and you know she tells them, "Well, I do off my off-duty hours, my own personal business, has no performance on my police as a police officer." And, she, and Lieutenant Bess is like, "This time it does." Shaw's trouble. Don't help him. Don't give him the time of day. You're a good cop. You got a good gig here. Don't blow it. Whatever side you're on, stay there. And I think again, I think he's going a little harsher on her than he should have, than he should be. Uh, just because he doesn't like Mark Shaw. I wonder if she was dating, say, like Superman or someone, you know, that he approved of. And you know, I remember Lieutenant Miss that well, he may not approve of any metahumans. But if she was dating someone she approved of, like Superman, for instance, picking someone everyone loves, uh, if he would be having the same reaction of, you know, don't help him, it's not trustworthy as he has. If it was Superman, a member of the Justice League, an upstanding member of the community, he's been a deputized police officer in the past. It was someone like that instead of Mark Shaw, who's an ex-criminal, works the shady side of the fence, if you will. If if Lieutenant Bess would be given her such grief and if he would be so trust, distrustworthy. Or untrusting, that's what I'm looking for, untrusting of him. But we may never know. Uh, and again, she thinks, you know, same, long, same, kind of what I say, that, you know, men feel like they're right to criticize. If they seem unacceptable, they wouldn't recommend a man like that. And she's probably right. I mean, again, this was back in the 80s. So men were very much, a lot of them are still the way this way today. But especially back in the 80s, a lot of men were very much, you know, you're the woman, you need to do what I say. Not as bad as I think it was in the 50s and 60s. Uh, slowly working on a better mindset for guys. But there was, especially guys in power, uh, lieutenants and uh, people in charge of other people. I can tell you, you can tell they're very old school, very much the old mindset of, you know, uh, women's usually the wrong, guys are always right. So I don't think she's off in her thinking here. And again, the story goes along and, and she meets Paula. What does it mean, Paula? She, she's done her. And Paula's down there, hand her on the monitor. Yeah, she's handing her a disc. Uh, supposedly the disc has a, uh, a systems file update. There was an Amex traveler's check theft in Dallas. And the FBI has issued sequence numbers of all the stolen traveler's checks. $18,000 worth. Which, to me, it's a lot of money. Back then, I'm sure it was even more money. So, so as I said, Paula was saying she was sitting there talking. Her hand was on the monitor. I, I wonder if she's got some sort of medium of power or... Something that well, what happened there because when uh, Sylvie goes back to her computer, the file she was looking at is gone. She looks up and she tries the uh, DOB the, for date of birth, looking for uh, Mavis, and it comes up invalid. So she just had Mavis's file up before Paula came up to her. Now she can't access anything on it. So. And then we cut, she's at her house, and she's talking to Mark on the phone. And she said that, you know, she's, she knows that somehow Paula meddled with the computer, purged Paula's file, Paula's file, with Mavis Pal. And so she said she uh, pulled up an identity kit and generated Paula Darrow's face, started tinkering with it. And she was able to uh, modify it back so it looked like Ashley Pal. Which let Sir, uh, a, uh, what's her name, Ashley, know that a Ashley, 
Try that again. Let Sylvia know that Ashley and Paula are the same person. So she tells Mark this. And he thanks her, says, you know, I've got a lead on this. And he's like, it depends how it turns out. Maybe we have a victory dinner. We cut outside Sylvia's apartment where Mavis, I'm sorry, Ashley slash Paula is watching her sit there by her window. Meanwhile, Manhunter's breaking into Sylvia's home or office. And she sees there's a new bag by the door with the name Amy Strickland from Chicago, Illinois. So she knows she's discarding the Paula Darrow identity. And she has driver's license, credit cards, checking account, everything's as a street legal identity, she says. And so you know, he's like, the company's a front for shifting aliases. She must be a computer wizard. Oh my God, the computer. She scanned the PAL file on Sylvia's computer. Um, I don't know. I don't, they don't really mention it here that ha- how it worked. Unless she has some sort of manual power where she can access the computer. But she didn't actually get in front of the computer on the scene we were looking at. So I, I don't know how she was able to access the files while she was standing there in front of uh, Sylvia. That, that's the only thing. Again, being a computer guy, I'm not sure I've mentioned on this show, uh, but I've been playing computers on and off since the early 80s. I'm a little bit of a computer guy. I built my own computer. I used to work on computers for people. Uh, so I know a little bit about computers and hacking and all that. And uh, you can't hack a computer just to your hand on the monitor unless you've got some sort of special power. Or there's no way that I found yet. So um, that's, we're going to call it a weak point in the story. It's uh, an issue. It's a nitpick because, again, it's a great issue. It's a great comic, but that is a bit of a nitpick. Is how how uh, Paula or Ashley or whatever y'all call her was able to hack into Sylvia's computer while she was standing there because she was looking at the file as Sylvia came up. I'm sorry. Try that again. Sylvia was looking at the computer, looking at. Ashley's information as Paula came up to her. So it was there. And then as soon as Paula left, it was gone. The only thing I can think of, I'm going to go back a couple pages to look. Uh, see, she never, I thought maybe there was something on the disc that she gave her. And again, we'll comment on, comment on that real quick on page 13. Again, now, in fact, we don't even use floppy disk anymore for the most part. It's on CD or digitally. USBs. Uh, this was a, an old-fashioned five and a quarter floppy disk. I remember those. <laughs> I had an Apple IIc growing up, which was the Apple version of the laptop. I say growing up. I was a teenager before we got it. Late teenager. A mid-teenager. I was about 15, 14, 15 when I got it. And that used the, the five and a quarter floppy disk. So they're hanging with it. It's just kind of funny looking here in 2016 back at this comic from 88 and seeing a floppy disk being passed back and forth. Uh, the information nowadays, wow, it's just hilarious thinking that how big that disk is and how little information it held compared to a USB stick, for instance. It can hold gigabytes of data and you, you can get them as small as you know your car keys, if not smaller. So I just find that funny and just a throwback to the past. Uh, but then we go to the, the climax of the story where and we don't really see the fight between them. 
we see uh, Ashley getting herself some, sorry, Sylvia getting herself some orange slices, which she really likes. And she's talking to Paula. You know, Paula's telling us she's given two-week notice. She's leaving. And then as we're going through the store on page uh, 17, Mark's outside of uh, Sylvia's apartment looking up. We cut inside. We see the cupboard drawer, cupboards, uh, hinges are broken off. And the gun that she had kept in her cupboard is gone. Back outside, Mark uses his, his power baton to leap into the building, crash through the window. And we get... Uh, Paula, a.k.a. Ashley, over Sylvia, I'm assuming, with her own gun. And apparently she does have some sort of power. I almost forgot about this after I read this, just read this a few minutes ago. Mark's got her his power baton on her, saying she's under arrest. And she's at decline the offer. She holds her hand up, and it starts shifting. She shoots some sort of beam out that hits Mark in the mask. And he says his eyes burning... Yeah, the conversation here on page 19. She's saying, can't see Mr. Shaw? Don't see why that matters since you're about to die. Can't let you or Sylvia spoil my plans. Wasn't One doesn't enjoy life's great pleasures from a prison cell. And Mark's like, that's right. No children are allowed in jail. She's like, shut up. Shut your lying mouth. I've done nothing wrong. They're the imps. They're the tempters. The... And she's starting to beat on Mark. Sylvia jumps up and grabs her from behind, puts her in a chokehold. Chokehold? Chokehold. Paula slash Ashley swings back, hits Sylvia in the head, knocks her down. And as she gets ready to shoot her, Mark uses power baton, blasts her from the back. And I like this. She's laying there knocked out. Ashley's sitting there. Ashley, sorry. Sylvia's sitting there holding her glasses, sitting on the floor in her fuzzy slippers. Mark's like, call the cops. She's like, I am the co- I am a cop. And then we get some more monologue from uh, Sylvia saying that there's two busts in 36 hours, quite an accomplishment. Others didn't see it that way. And again, Sergeant, uh, Lieutenant Best calls Ken- Kendry, Sylvia, into his office. And he tells her that uh, Internal Affairs uh, wants to notify Sergeant Sylvia Kendry that she is being suspended from all duties without pay. Penny official conduct. And he gets scolds her, tells her, you know, she should have came to him instead of going outside to Manhunter. And she's asking, well, do you want me to resign? And he's like, no, I want you to the hard way. Stay, do your job, tough it out. Quit now, you put on yourself. Stay and fight, Kendry. Rear in my respect. Take back what you lost. And she's like, okay. You know, so Lieutenant... Sometimes the fence looks the same no matter which side you're on. And so I, I, it leaves a kind of a question. I don't know if she's resigning. I'm assuming she's resigning or maybe she, she's suspended. We start in her locker cleaning it out. She's handing her gun over to a guy behind a, a mesh screen. And then she has a thought here that says, An instructor I had in the academy was fond of saying, What do you do when you fall off a horse? Get back on and start riding again. Dust yourself off, remount, continue down the trail. So I, I don't quite know. The story is, to me, is kind of vague. Because uh, she, she has been suspended. Uh, so maybe that may be why she's turned her gun in. To me, it, and she talks like she's not going to give up. But it maybe it's just me, but this kind of seems like she's quitting almost. But again, it could just be because she's suspended for a time being, so she's turned her gun in. 
But actually, she sees Mark, and he says, you know, he's apologizing. He wishes things hadn't ended up like that. He didn't want to jeopardize her job. And she's like, that's true. You only wanted information. Nothing personal. I was the one who made it personal. The end. Uh, and again, like I said, she she did make it personal from the second page. She was very much the uh, romantic thinking, much more than what Mark had intended, even what we saw. You can't blame Mark. The only one to blame Mark for this is Lieutenant Best. That's because he doesn't like him anyways. I don't know. Anyways... Uh, that, that's pretty much the story. That's my thoughts on it. I, I thought it was a very good story. Again, just a few minor little quibbles here and there. The art overall was really good. Uh, I mean, there's a couple pages here on page uh, 18. Ashley Powell looks kind of off a little bit, but I don't know. O overall, though, it's a, it's a good story. It's decent art. Not one of the best of the series, but by all means, not one of the worst. Uh, but that's going to do it for that issue. Now, with Missing a Beat, let's move on to our letters column, Cosmic Trails. Uh, we're going to start off over on Twitter. Uh, again, I don't have a Twitter account for the podcast itself, but you can always uh, Twitter us or tweet us or whatever at the Headcast Network. Uh, one on there offhand I caught for uh, this show was from Willie Yarborough. Hey, Willie. Move over to Google+. Plus. We had uh, James Hudson and Jeffrey Mayo liked or uh, plus one the show in the last episode. And over on Facebook, we had Brian Wing, Sonny Morrison, Sean Brooke, Clinton Robinson, Mihawk Sigmund, but I missed that too bad, sir, and Coffee and Comics Blog. Either liked or read... Uh, share our page or whatever. And also, uh, I mentioned previously that I was thinking about stopping the show for a little while, just due to family obligations and three other podcasts, trying to read comics, watch my TV shows, work, all this other stuff. I'm going to try to keep doing this show as long as I can, uh, but I do want to give a special thanks to both Clinton Robinson, who, after I, I posted on the Facebook page that I was thinking about taking a break from the show, just for family and all that. Uh, Clinton posted that uh, back on June 29th. He said, I understand 100%. If you take a hiatus, I shall miss it. But I'll be there waiting when you come back. Do what you need to, brotherhead. And then I recently got an email from uh, a buddy of mine, a guy who just met online recently, uh, Pat Sampson, who's got a podcast called Belonged Box Crusade. He's also going to be on my next episode of the G.I. Joe, episode 12, if things work out right. But check out his Longbox Crusade show. I'm going to play a promo for it after the show's over. So stay soon, listen to that. But Pat wrote in also saying that he just enjoyed it. I'm going to read his letter real quick. I just finished listening to the fourth episode of this. And you mentioned at the end you maybe stopped doing it for a while due to family, time, and other things. I have not read either of the series and was enjoying hearing about both of them through this podcast. And then at that point he asked if there's any way he can help me do it. He said he doesn't know anything about the comics except what he's heard from me. Uh, he did message me here personally here a while back and said he found a store with a bunch of uh, cheap copies of them in case I needed any. Uh, he said he could let me go buy them and help me do them, help me edit the show, whatever. Uh, basically, he wants to help me keep the show going as long as possible. I want to thank you very much for that, Pat. Um, 
And again, right now I'm going to keep doing like I'm doing. I'm going to, uh, again, just do my whole time constraints and problems with trying to record with other people. I don't have a lot of free time. Uh, I'm going to keep doing it on my own for right now. But if I can, if I work things out, I'm going to try to get Pat on the show at least some point to work on a little bit with him. But I appreciate uh, your thoughts and your, your comments there, Pat. And Clinton, thank you very much for your, for your uh, support. Again, you guys are both great, uh, great listeners. I enjoy your, your uh, dedication to the show. And I just want to thank you very much for your encouragement. That's one reason I want to keep doing the show because of people like you that kind of encourages me to keep going. So, uh, but you know what? That's going to do it for this month. Again, we're only a little over half an hour today, but I'm only doing the one episode or the one issue. So, well, it is the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Just to get things synced up, we're only going to cover one of those characters for maybe the next couple of months. I haven't decided. I've got two more issues of Manhunter before I'm, they're synced up. I don't know if we can do it both next month or spread them out over two months. But uh, we'll see what happens next month. But until then, like I said, listen for after my credits for a promo for uh, Pat's show. It's a great show. It's a great promo. Definitely check it out. And uh, until next month, Star Hunters, keep watching the stars. Night. Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Please join us next month for another great, fantastic episode as we cover another issue of the Will Payton Starman series and the Mark Shaw Manhunter series. Uh, Keep in mind that these podcasts are not affiliated or endorsed by DC Comics. I'm just a fanboy who loves these comics and wants to spread these love with everyone else out there and just talk about them. Um, again, you can email us at smah at headspeaks.com or you can go to our blog, which is at starman-manhunter.headspeaks.com. You can also go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash starman-manhunter-adventure-hour. No spaces, all one word. But once again, thank you very much for joining us. Until next episode... This is Aaron Moss saying, see you in the funny pages. has been challenged to read all the comics he has collected. This podcast will summarize, review, and reminisce about a single comic book issue and the time period somewhat chronologically by release date. He keeps a stack of comics near his bedside for when the time is right. Who is this interesting comic fan and what is the podcast? Hello, my name is Pat. I don't normally do podcasts about the comic books I read, but when I do, I podcast about them on The Longbox Crusade. Listen to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or on The Longbox crusade.com and check out the Facebook page. Read them all my friends. Aw yeah. Aww, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Feels good. Feels good.
Hello, sweetie. My name is Aaron Moss. Well, my friends, they just call me Head. I have a question. Do you enjoy Firestorm, The Atom, G.I. Joe, and other comic books? How about Star Wars, superhero movies, role-playing games, or books? Well, you know what? I love them all. And you know why? I'm a giant geek with an addiction. I have a Green Lantern ring, a Green Lantern power battery, a bat signal, along with other geeky items. I also have over 20 long boxes out in my garage, collecting about 20 years worth of comics. Come, join me the second week of every month as I talk about all things geeky and try to deal with my addiction. Also, for the next little while, I'll be reviewing the comics of my favorite hero, the Atom. Superhero scientist Ray Palmer, trapped at six inches tall in the Amazon rainforest, the Sword of the Atom. I'm going to start with the Sword of the Atom miniseries and one-shots, then review the Power of the Atom series, which will eventually tie in with one of my other shows, Task Force X. Where can you find this podcast, you may ask? Why, I'm at head.headspeaks.com. I can also be found on iTunes under Headspeaks and on Stitcher Radio at stitcher.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Google+, both under Headspeaks. Also, look for the Headcast Network, where all of my great shows can be found under one convenient feed. Come, take a look. And this podcast is not endorsed nor affiliated with Kid and Play. That would be pretty cool, huh? Anyways, I'll let Kid and Play take this out.